Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's interesting that today, the appointed reading for the first time I'm preaching after an ear surgery is on Jesus healing a deaf, mute man. Uh, a couple of weeks before my surgery, I had developed a cold, which brought about a cough that's been lingering, uh, but it was uh, made worse with the anesthesia, so my voice has been kind of weak. Uh, thankfully, it's largely recovered, but as you heard a little bit ago, uh, it's still not quite where ideal would be. Anyway, our Lord provides healing, as we heard from our gospel, even for uh, the mute. We can see evidence of a fallen world all around us. We sin and we are sinned against. There is sickness and there is suffering. We are all, in a sense, dying. For with each new day, as bright as that new day may be for us, we are advancing yet another day closer to, to the grave. When Jesus was born, he did not bear in his body the effects of sin, for Jesus, of course, was sinless. But his life and ministry were carried out in this world that is fallen, and so he saw sin and sickness all around him, and of course, he suffered from the sins of others against him. Jesus was sent into this fallen world as the sinless Son of God to bear our sins in his body and to take away the sin of the world through his suffering and death on the cross. That is the primary purpose of his incarnation. In today's gospel, we hear of true human misery brought to our Lord Jesus. A man is deaf, and perhaps as a result, he cannot speak. The scriptures describe him as having a speech impediment. If he cannot hear, of course, he cannot learn how to use his voice. Because he is deaf, the world of sound is closed to him. He cannot hear the voice of his family or the beautiful songs of the birds, or the lovely sounds of music. He can see the lips of other people moving as they engage in joyous conversation, but he has no idea what it is that they are saying. When he thinks of something he cannot simply open his mouth and speak his thoughts. But he must instead try to act them out to somehow and hopefully convey his message. If you think about the affliction that he faced, how miserable he must be. And to top that off, he cannot hear the saving word of God which is able to save souls. What are God's intentions when he afflicts us with illness or suffering? 
Or are these things just random acts of chance, as if God is somehow powerless over such matters? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our afflictions and trials do not happen by chance. Remember the words of Jesus in which he says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father. We have to recognize, believe, teach, and confess that God is truly in charge of all things. Which means then, we can conclude, even as he sends affliction. Yes, God does send affliction. We might get a little squirmy thinking, how can that be? Doesn't he just allow these things to happen? How can God send something like this when he is good? In two weeks, we'll be singing as our hymn of the day these words, What God ordains is always good. He will never deceive me. He leads me in his righteous way, and never will he leave me. I take content what he has sent, his hand that sends me sadness. will turn my tears to gladness. In Psalm 6, it is written, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Recognizing such rebukes and discipline can come from God. Luther seems to go a little further when he says, In all trials and affliction, man should first of all run to God. He should realize and accept the fact that everything is sent by God, whether it comes from the devil or from man. Everything from God, whether by the devil or man. This is what the prophet does here. So Luther's commenting on this verse from Psalm 6. In this psalm, he mentions his trials, but first he hurries to God and accepts these trials from him, from God. For this is the way to learn patience and the fear of God. But he who looks to man and does not accept these things from God becomes impatient and a despiser of God. I agree that we have to recognize, as Luther did, that God is the one sending this affliction. And of course, What I'm telling you is based so far on a hymn and a Luther quote. And if that is all that I have to prove to you this truth, to convince you, you would be right for not being convinced. For true Christian faith goes by the word of God. And so listen then to the scriptures. It is written in Proverbs 3 and quoted in Hebrews 12, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And even more clearly, Psalm 119. In this psalm, the word affliction is found, I believe, seven times. 
acknowledging where this affliction comes from. The clearest verse is verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Why? Why would God afflict us? Well, sometimes reproof, correction, and discipline are sent by God due to certain errors or certain sins so that we may be corrected or so that we may turn from those sins. Let me give you an example. If we were to refuse to work, saying, I don't need to get a job, I can just sit on the sofa all day long, and then in time we're afflicted with hunger and have no shelter, we should see the direct consequence for our sin of sloth. That that is a direct result of what we have done. Or if we should shun the pure word of God and refuse to support our church through our offerings and through our attendance, we should not be surprised if God would afflict his people by withdrawing his presence from them and allowing the holy sanctuary which he has established to close. But not all afflictions are the clear result of something specifically done wrong. Some cases, it is clear. In other cases, there is no clear result. The deaf-mute man is an excellent example. This man was likely born without the ability to hear. His affliction could not then have been a result of something specifically that he had done, but instead it is an indication of the fallen state of our world. On another occasion, the disciples asked Jesus who sinned, the man who was born blind or his parents. And Jesus' response to them was, it is not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then in that case, Jesus proceeds to immediately heal that man who was born blind. So he's saying it's not the result of a specific act of this man or his parents, but God had a plan and a purpose in it, and the works of God were glorified as Jesus healed that man. We can say the reason for all affliction is sin. But when we are randomly afflicted, such as this blind man or the deaf-mute man, we do not try to find the hidden will of God ascertaining what in the world occurred in our lives to bring those things on. Instead, we recognize our fallen nature, our weakness and our sinfulness, our need for a Savior, and in fact, we ought to give thanks that we were not afflicted with even worse things. Jesus describes our sinful condition earlier in Mark chapter 7 when he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Knowing that Jesus is describing our own sinful hearts, we ought to be driven to repentance by hearing this word of God describing us. Sometimes we refuse. And then as we face affliction, we are then driven to confess our sin and to receive Christ as our advocate. Jesus declared, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. What Jesus does when bringing us afflictions is to bring us down from any form of self-security on which we have relied, to lead us to that repentance, and above all, to draw us to himself, to be clothed in his righteousness, to be numbered among the saints, and to be granted the forgiveness of sins which he earned for us on the cross. We see a beautiful example of that in today's gospel. When they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged Jesus that he would lay his hand on them, Jesus then takes this deaf-mute man aside from the crowd privately, shows this deaf-mute man what he is about to do, and speaks ephetha, that is, be open, and immediately the man can not only hear, but he can also speak plainly. That is an amazing miracle. Something we rejoice in, that he did that for this young man. But even more so, look at the wondrous thing that happened, that through this man's affliction, he is brought to Jesus. What could be better? Had he not been afflicted, it's possible that he could have never seen Jesus. Jesus was, after all, as St. Mark reports, in the region of the Decapolis, which is a region southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Decapolis, Deca, the word for ten. There's about ten cities in this region. And it's a Greek term because that is a Hellenistic area, an area that is heavily Greek. So Jesus was in a region that was not primarily Jewish, but was primarily Gentile, making the Jews the minority. And now this deaf-mute man in this foreign land, so to speak, is brought to Jesus, who miraculously heals him. God certainly has power to avert affliction. He can prevent and he can stop and he can reverse the afflictions that we face. He reversed the affliction of the deaf-mute man and and God though may choose to leave us in our affliction. But if he does so, that is not an indication that he is leaving us. Just as Job faced affliction, God never left Job, even as Job suffered immensely. God does not leave you either. You are his. You belong to him. You are baptized into Christ. Just a few verses before our epistle, the Holy Spirit guided St. Paul to write, I'm sorry, right after our epistle, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The main point of our affliction, then, is to be drawn to Jesus, something that we do not always see. If it were not for God's providence, we would suffer far more than we already do. I think that's important to note. We may sing, but for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. But do we consider how much he fights for for us? What life would be like if he were not fighting for us? Or how blessed we are to recognize that Jesus, even in the midst of our afflictions, is constantly fighting for us. In our day, when people are afflicted with sickness or injury, they are brought to a physician. And that is good. We are blessed in our day with caring doctors and nurses and very advanced medicine. It's enough for us that we should daily get on our knees and thank God for them and for the sacrifices that they make for our well-being and for those advances that God has allowed to be revealed to us. But should not the afflicted who are brought to the medical professionals also be brought to Jesus? What do they need more? The temporal relief provided by medicine or the eternal relief provided by Jesus? So how do we bring the afflicted to Jesus? After all, we cannot do as they did with the deaf-mute man. But here's how we may. We tell them about Jesus. We remind them that he is our great physician of not only our bodies, but also our souls. We tell them that he loves them and that he will get them through their afflictions. If not in this life, he will certainly make all things new at the resurrection. We tell them of that love that Christ has for them that led him to die on the cross to pay for all of their sins. And that through this affliction, this is no indication that he has withdrawn his love. We tell them that Jesus rose from the grave and will make all things new. We pray for them and we pray with them. And we make sure that the pastor knows so he can be praying and visiting. For he is the one whom Christ has sent to bring Christ to the people. Because the pastor can bring the afflicted Holy Communion giving them the very body and the true blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for their forgiveness. Sadly, many do a great disservice when they choose to forego pastoral care, assuming that their primary needs are simply healing and relief from their affliction. When God afflicts us, he primarily has our spiritual treatment in view. Afflictions become lessons for our souls, For through affliction, we learn to trust in Christ alone. For he alone faced the enemies of sin, death, and Satan. He swallowed up 
death in victory through his own resurrection. He defeated Satan and holds him powerless over us. And he has washed our sin away as Jesus served as the ransom payment for our sins when he died for us on the cross. God uses all things for our good as we are promised in Romans chapter 8, ultimately taking us from this veil of tears to himself in heaven. And so, in sickness and in sadness, in health and in happiness, we pray with the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Truly, as Mark reported, he does all things well. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.